I have to get the magic uh, tennis racket, which zaps oh, them, because otherwise it's going to fly around my head. Hang on. So, which part of the world are you sat in your car in? I am uh, near Glastonbury of all places. Okay, I'm back. No, I haven't got the fly. Sorry, guys. Well, if you haven't already figured out, we're doing things a little bit differently for our 100th episode. This is Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London, host of the Instec London podcast, and this week joined by my fellow partners, Robin Mertens and Paolo Kumo. Uh, so it is rather ironic that I received an email today that goes as follows. Matthew, a quick note to say how much I'm enjoying your podcast. In many podcasts, the host thinks it's about them, but the Instec podcast stay fresh and interesting. Uh, well, Alex, I do hope you'll excuse us that for this, our 100th episode, that we decided to make it, well, about us. Um, but if this is your first Instec London podcast, then I promise I do normally make my fascinating guests this focus of attention. So please do check out the other 99, or at least some of them. Uh, and of course, not just all these podcasts, but none of the events that we run, all the advisory work we do would have been possible without our incredible community and network from across the world, incidentally, not just London. Maybe it's time to uh, rebrand. Anyway, a huge thanks to all of you that have supported us for your time, money, or just spreading the good word. Now, Robin and Paolo co-founded Instec London five years ago. I found them a year later. More about that in a minute. Uh, and Paolo's got a real job these days. So whilst you may not be hearing as much from him, we did manage to grab him so we could have the chance to recall this together, uh, albeit remote and digital. So here we go, freshly recorded last week. Now, we were rather missing the exposed bricks and concrete of the steelyard where we've been running our live events up until February. So we brought this episode to you in a slightly more raw and unpolished form than our usual episodes. Uh, we think it works though, but you will need to supply your own wine. Hello, Robin. It's, uh, it's been a while since we got together. We seem to have been doing quite well on previous podcasts. In fact, we kind of don't disclose our own rating figures. But feedback I've had is people would actually like to hear from us again. So what better way to celebrate the 100th podcast than to have some self-indulgence uh, as we talk to you. But hopefully along the way, we'll actually generate some useful insights for, uh, for our listeners. Well, thanks for, for having us on our own podcast. And Robin, we're recording this at one o'clock. Have you had some lunch? Because uh, a sort of hungry, grumpy Robin Mertens is going to be tricky to handle on a Friday. Uh, no indulgence or self-indulgence to send uh, so far, but, but being a Friday, uh, it's only a matter of time. Good. Okay. So both of you are there right from the beginning. What stimulated you to kick off Instead London in the first place? Well, really, Paolo and I copied uh, what was going on in FinTech. We, we could see how exciting all that scene was. There were no insurance versions of it. Paolo said to me, there's only one way to find out whether this will work, and that's to create one. And that night, he pinged me a meetup group invite, having created an Instec London meetup group. And within a year, I think we had 2,000 meetup members, and suddenly there was an obligation on Paolo and I to do something and to run something, and, and it sort of crept up, up, up on us like that. I just realised I never actually asked how the two of you met. What, what was the happy story? But who... who met the other one first if that's possible 
I remember this because it was one of the, the first times I, I sat on a stage talking about technology and insurance. Um, Robin and I were, were paired together despite not knowing each other, needing to make the case for um, why the insurance industry was behind the curve in its use of technology. And um, we boasted such a good job of, of pointing out why really insurance should stop being such a laggard that uh, it was sort of love at first sight. And um, from there, our desire to see the industry do a better job around technology has, has just kept us together. It could have gone so badly wrong as well, just knowing, knowing we've all got strong views. Well, it's great that you both gave birth to Instead London. And Pally, can you remember who was there at that, that, that first event and, and what's happened to them? Well, the, 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 the first pitch event, I think, is the one that was most memorable because it went beyond just chats, chats over beer and stuff. And um, a, a couple jump out, two, two names that people will know. One is um, Phoebe Hughes from Broly spoke. And um, yeah, Phoebe was fascinating because she didn't realise she was going to do that. She was cajoled into doing it by some of the people who came along. And she, uh, she very eloquently explained what her plans for, for Broly were. Someone else who spoke was Freddie McNamara, who um, people may not know Freddie's name so well, but they'll know his company, Cover, which does by-the-hour car insurance, or started doing that, and does, does various other things. Um, Cover just raised £15 million pounds, um, at the end of last year. And so, you know, an indication that some of these ideas have um, you know, really gone on to, uh, to have an impact. Matthew, just, I, I put 500 quid behind the bar that night, and I'm not sure I've ever claimed it back. So we might have a conversation about that later. Well, maybe you could also have got some equity at the same time. Uh, maybe. Good. And then who else, who else was there? Because we've had, you know, one of our successes has been this sort of pay forward model where we bring people in, and we still do today as startups, look after them, give them a free drink. And, uh, yeah, many of them have rewarded us by coming full members a couple of years later. But, you know, of the sort of big names that are out there just now, is there anybody else that we can take credit for of launching their careers even if we only were part of it uh one has to be very careful um overestimating the impact one one has had but but there are a whole bunch of people who've been on the journey with us i mean this is now you know 2015 we're talking about and and it was the birth of of insurtech i mean we're called instech because the word insurtech didn't exist and we and we were all sort of wondering what it what the name would be but 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 in that era um, you know, Cytora, um, Consirus, Flock, um, Trove, all, you know, emerged. And they're all very successful businesses these days. Um, you know, and, and our supporters from beginning to end, uh, you know, AXA, um, you know, originally in its Catlin form, Munich Redigital Partners, Polar Capital, you know, there are people who were there at the start and they were very good at, at providing what I call civic responsibility, you know, putting some money in the pot to enable us to kind of ferment this a bit and, 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 and ideally, and, and I think palpably, um, you know, provide something of, of benefit to the whole community. Yeah, I'm just sensing we've got a potential future event of This Is Your Life if we dig out some of those early videos and recordings of, of when they were doing their original pitch and to see how close... Their business model is today and you know no harm in doing a pivot but i'm sure we get a bit of a laugh as we all, everyone would out of uh, some of those early stories and who knows there might be some ideas still out there that we haven't yet uh, or nobody has yet developed and we could find some new opportunities for for startups it's a very interesting point matthew because of course what happens is when you're living 
in the moment you, you know, you're not taking detailed notes. You, you know, you're not listing everyone who went to every event or anything because you think you're not going to forget. And one sits here five or six years later. And luckily, you know, one of the things that we did not with a view to creating an archive, but merely with the view to getting the social media going was that we did film and record and things. And there's an awful lot of handheld movie footage of those early presentations, which as you say, could, could bring some really rather interesting insight into how things have developed as and when someone wants to, to do the history of InsureTech. Yeah. And that's actually also how I, how I got to know that my own Robert, I've known you for a while, but it kind of came across in Step London was I thought that was a great opportunity to go and sit in there write up what people have talked about and then sound informed uh, and intelligent and put it out on LinkedIn and actually it, it generated a lot of interest for me on that. And then I think we, we sort of figured out we should do something together on the back of it. No, I well, thank God you came along. I mean, you know, I'm not sure we don't still sort of do that to some uh, degree or, or, or another, but, but there weren't many people out there. Paolo, I don't say he abandoned me, but he got a, he got a much safer uh, way of earning money than running a community. So uh, you coming along was a blessing in disguise. And you know, there weren't many people who are sort of proven insurance professionals who've been around the block who, who were interested in this stuff then. So, you know, it was marvellous that you and I could find a way of getting together. And, and frankly, you turned what, what was a hobby for me, something I sort of enjoyed and occasionally some business built out of it, into a business. So thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure, but and I guess the you know, people use various metrics to define success. If we did a, a quality of wine served at Instead London events over the last five years, that'd be quite a good index to to, to justify or demonstrate the uh, the success we've had and be able to invest some money back back into the business. And, and maybe there's a, maybe there's even a parametric insurance index uh, on quality of wine served at events as a definition of whether the events company is actually doing well or. Uh, we're going to go out of, out of business. But anyway, I guess that's another, another, another time. Well, from my point of view, I still can't drink the wine we serve up. I have to have my own special bottle. So, so although it's getting better, it's still not good enough. But that's something we can work on in 2020. Well, I mean, that does come to the, our business model, doesn't it? I mean, the, we have intentionally kept the costs pretty low and rely heavily. And thank you to all of you listening who have supported on this uh, so that we can bring people in pretty early. We hopefully everybody gets more than the, pure value of what they're paying for this but it has meant we've been able to grow the business pretty quickly but we've also been able to fund it and uh yeah i guess there's a, there's a balance isn't there to how how good the quality of the, the refreshments are and how much we ask people to pay uh, and therefore limit what we can actually do and also importantly yeah that we haven't talked really about what, how the community works and the network works but it's very important for all of us so we we really have people in here that we you know, frankly, respect like the idea and think are going somewhere as they just chase after the next uh, the next check matthew i think it's it's worth just touching again on that point of, of individuals we've you know we've mentioned some of the companies that um that we've seen grow there's a you know i don't don't want to go into names but they they know who they are those people who were happy to to believe where we were going who were happy to to stand up on stage to to step in for a speaker who would pulled out at the last minute who were um, encouraging their colleagues to come along, even if their colleagues may still have been sceptical. And yeah, as with any community, um, the, the value to the, the whole community, I think, comes from the sort of the hard work and the belief of a, a core 10 or 20%. And so, you know, thank you to those who've believed in us over the, the last few years. As a consequence of that, you know, we, 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 the truth is we've helped so many people. I mean, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I didn't say that to brag, but it's, I think it's to highlight the power of a community. 
the, the number of people who have met a source of capacity, a potential investor, recruited as a result of our activities, um, you know, both physical and, and in terms of our um, digital output, um, uh, you know, it's immense. And, and dear, Trove always say to me, they were a very early supporter of ours, um, back in the day of our very first show until, uh, you know, that's where they met Munich Re Digital Partners. And the Munich Re Digital Partners and Trove have gone on to do great things, and they probably, they undoubtedly would have met anyway. Um, but, but, you know, th those sort of networking, those sort of connections come, um, uh, you know, from the fact there's a community. Uh, some we know about, the huge majority of that we just don't know about, and, and, uh, and we do love to know about them, and if anyone's got them, let us know. But, you know, that, there's just a kind of power to being able to create a community and enables everyone to benefit from it. Yeah, and that, and that power actually has given us some momentum over the last few months when obviously we couldn't all be jammed into the steel yard, you know, packed together. But, but it does seem to have continued, doesn't it? And we all have to have, perhaps have to work a little bit harder to make the introductions to people and make sure that the people we're going to introduce are going to find a receptive audience. But uh, it's going to be an intriguing question generally in this whole space uh, as to how you know, the, that personal contact is flourishes and that particularly that kind of sort of ad hoc personal contact. I mean, social distancing and return to work is okay up to a point, but you kind of really need to have the, the volume of people. I mean, it's partly like any event or any party, you're never going to be able to have a good conversation with everybody, but I've got this view that there's basically the sort of rule of three of any kind of event. You know, one third of the people there really don't want to talk to you one third frankly you probably decide you haven't got anything in common and don't want to talk to them and one third of the people you want to talk to and uh, you kind of need a bit of volume and uh, an excuse to go and talk to people to do that anyway it's going to be a challenge going forward but I think we're going to be getting back to some kind of events soon aren't we Robin? I want to be first out the traps uh, I mean we've you know I'm, I'm glad that we're no longer known by some people um, as a, just a sort of I don't know place to go drinking on a Monday night at the studio yard uh, the fact that we have so much support and continuing to sign members regularly shows that people understand our true value. And if we've lost a few people who, who just use it for a glass of wine and, and browbeating people, then that's fine by me. We need those physical events back, both in, you know, studio-yard type things, but dinners and, and round tables and stuff, that's, that's crucial work for us. So, Paolo, Rob and I know what we're up to, but I don't think everybody does. We've managed to find some professional help to do the the very vital work of proofreading the newsletter so we've let you off that task um but for those who aren't familiar with what, what you're up to probably worth a few words about your your current activities so i'm currently director of operations at brit insurance brit's a fascinating place to to be you know it has the the advantage of being large enough to to invest in real innovation and many people will be aware of the key syndicate which is a fully digital algorithmically driven follow syndicate we've just launched with um, working with Google. Um, but it's also small enough that projects like that could just happen. You pull together the right team and you just get things done. So I'm yeah, absolutely loving being able to, to take some of those early thoughts from my Intertech London days, a lot of the, the theory and PowerPoint that I wrote whilst being a, a consultant and bringing it all together to actually drive proper digital change within insurance. So feeling, um, feeling very honoured to be able to do that um, and very much enjoying it. Some people are aware that I've, um, I'm also dabbling in quantum technology and I'm um, showing an entire lack of originality, have set up a meetup group called Quantum London, which in many ways is trying to, to replicate 
what we did with with Intech London those five or six years ago. And it's very interesting to, to compare and contrast. There is absolutely that same hunger for, for information, for connections, for discussions as we saw in the, the early days of InsureTech when we when we set InsureTech up. Um, what's far harder, and this is ignoring sort of the whole COVID side of things, what's far harder is that the creation of a community needs to needs to as you've just said be people building off each other and um the quantum the quantum space actually too large you've got real technologists you've got people who want to invest you've got people who are just petrified about security implications and so i think it's going to be very hard to to replicate the success that instech london has had in building the community i hope we don't, we don't lose you totally but i guess one word of advice uh, just given the experience you've had with instech London is is becoming more and more global now, and maybe if it's not too late, you might want to rebrand yourself as as Quantum Global just to allow you to grow into that space in in the future. But yeah, hopefully we're still going to see some more of you when we get back together again, and you know we you still play a vital role in the background. And actually, mentioning the uh, the key syndicate that you're doing, of course, the most the best performing podcast just now is the interview with Mark Allen and James Birch about that key syndicate. So uh, I guess you win either way. If this one ends up being very popular, you still Brit get a, a look in, which is, um, which is great. And I pick up on that, Paolo, your quantum thing, because you know, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, but, but we did exactly the same thing with blockchain. I mean, somebody came to us and said, you know, if you're talking about the future insurance, you need to do something on blockchain. What is blockchain? I said, I mean, I had no idea what it was. This was certainly 2015. And you and I got 20 people around the table and we started talking about blockchain. And, and that, first of all, it was about understanding what it was. And if I'm entirely honest, I don't think I ever believed in it. But, but, but you know, it, it, it is the sort of thing you have to bring to the community and you have to showcase what's going on. And and you that's you know that's your role and and suddenly in 2018 19 people couldn't talk about anything else um and now the enthusiasm has died away and on a similar note we had we had we had events around peer-to-peer do you remember peer-to-peer indeed um, peer-to-peer was going to, going to change the world i think all the, the so, peer-to-peer startup insurers were telling all the incumbents that they had no chance I mean, Lacquer's done a great job. Well done them, but 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 uh, it hasn't changed. You know, it hasn't changed the world. Um, you know, these these are funny things. But telematics in 2015 was just emerging. I mean, it was the era in which you had to put four, you had to pay 400 quid for a black box and put it in the car, and people were going to say it's going to it's just going to change everything. Well, and that really has changed everything. You know, and we all believe, I think, that IoT and the ability to kind of dynamically find out who's doing what uh, to assess and, and manage risk is going to be, you know, is almost indisputably a key part of the future of insurance. But, um, you know, some of these things work, some of them don't. But, but the job of, of I think, of Instate London is to, is to put them up there and let people make their own minds up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things, they need a bit of oxygen. And, you know, blockchain is a classic example of, uh, of technology looking for a solution. And, I mean, you, you kind of, it's hardly mentioned today. And in fact, it's almost, a, it's almost a signal that if it was a startup saying they're going to do things on blockchain, uh, they might have kind of missed the boat a bit. Distributed ledger has still got a role to play. But I think, yeah, it's, you know, it's important to actually bring that together, get some people. And, and sometimes these things work, sometimes they, they don't. And we're all wiser. So you mentioned peer-to-peer, but what else, Robin, what else do you sort of, you look back on 2015, do you sort of think about, for better or worse, as being themes that have either developed or, or disappeared five years later? Yeah. I mean, over over my overarching feel of it is is that it all felt in 2015 very disruptive. You know, um, part of that peer to peer 
um, and, and pl there were plenty of others who were going, uh, you know, the, 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 the narrative was, you're all hopeless insurance, you don't know what you're talking about, we kids are going to come and change the world, L look at what we know, we understand the customers and you don't type of narrative. Um, I do remember that company, was it Guevara? I think they were doing motor insurance. You know, they were the most outspoken of the lot and, and, and Julie departed three years later and hadn't been much missed, I don't think. Uh, you know, but, but it was very quickly, you know, it, to, it took a couple of years probably into this sort of narrative, the narrative changing of the understanding that insurance was much more difficult to disrupt than, than anything else, than, than, than anybody expected. And that, that we've now come into this sort of partnerships phase uh, which I think dilutes um, the possibilities, um, but it has enabled a lot more to happen than this sort of conflict dominated the really early years. You may recall, Robin, of course, that every blog post back then, I think we still called them blogs then, um, was, was dominated by a, a picture of an asteroid crashing in and killing the dinosaurs, because that was very much, as you say, the sort of confrontational mindset. And, and it created a, a wonderful energy. I think that, you know, everyone was up for it. In those days, you, you know, you, the, the incumbent insurers couldn't even get a website working, frankly. So no one was feeling sorry for them when, when the, the, the sort of tech startups came along. But um, as you say, that had to, to rapidly change. And, you know, there's a whole other podcast to, to be done on the intrinsic challenges of, you know, building a, a, a startup in a heavily regulated space, etc. But it was, it was good to see that change. But we, if we hadn't had the, the aggressive dynamic energy to start with, this may all have been a little different. I think it's a good point. Matthew, you were, you were around the whole five years. I mean, what, what, what would be your assessment of what's come and gone in the five years? Well, I, I mean, I, I keep coming back to this one, but I, because I just kind of find it both amusing and, and sort of relevant to what we're talking about. I mean, pet insurance, which people dismissed five years ago, apart from bought by many, and even they were actually much broader in what they were offering, you know, is now one of the areas that people are focusing on because pet insurance is the premium of something like 25% of motor insurance. People are spending more money on pets. But we could have figured that out a few years ago. I think, to me, what's actually where the real area of interest is and the still massive potential for everyone is this whole area both of the protection gap you know things that can't be insured I was just reading developing reports now on parametric insurance and 96 percent of economic losses in the developing world are not insured and something like 60 percent in the developed world and the reality is they're not insured because they're just too difficult to be able to quantify and so yeah there's plenty of capital out there there's lots of people finding ways to use data if we can't reduce that percentage over the next decade, then frankly, you know, we should always go back to the old way of doing things. So it's not easy. I mean, the, you know, the, again, the reality is the tough problems to solve are not easy and they need experimentation and they actually need quite a lot of capital as well. But I, I do think that's going to be one area to look at. I mean, within that, we did this event with Lloyd's when they released their intangible assets. That's all part of that. You know, the sort of, everyone's heard the stats, about 80% of the world is moving to intangible really hard to insure. But even if you look back five years ago, cyber, I think Allianz claimed that there'd be $20 billion of cyber premium income by 2020. You know, we're nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. And actually the reason is that we're, human nature being what it is, until you have a massive loss, uh, people tend not to focus on it too much and it, it grows, but grows slowly. So, you know, I, mean, I was encouraged five years ago by the recognition that data was important. Having been doing catastrophe modeling for 25 years before that, which all relied really heavily on data, 
it was good to know people finally woke up for it. But again, the challenge with data is you've got to actually really believe in it. It has to be actionable. It can't just tell you something that you can't do anything with. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it, the future is, is also disruption. If you look at you know, who's been the true disruptors, well, it's probably Lemonade, not really because of the business model, because frankly, I think you, you know, that's really not what makes a difference. It's just they've, they've invested very heavily in marketing. If you spend $100 million on marketing, then you're going to disrupt the industry to some extent. Uh, so that's, I think, another challenge is you know, to what extent are you disrupting with technology versus you just you kind of buy your way in there to be disruptive. Yeah, Matthew, to your point about the protection gap, in some ways that's, you know, that's almost one of my sadnesses over the last five years, that the, the hope of being able to, to reduce that for so many people in so many ways has not necessarily come to pass um, because you know, clearly insurance can be so valuable for, for people when they need it. You know, there, there, there's definitely some you know, really quite, I think, quite heartwarming uh, exceptions. And if you look, for example, at what Cover's done with pay-by-the-hour car insurance or what Zigo's done in terms of the, the gig economy, what they have done is they have enabled people to actually live better, so to speak, as a result. And um, where, where startups are able to not just be successful and embrace technology better, but also... Uh, allow their customers to be better off as a result i think um, you know we should be celebrating those successes we should and actually we're doing an event quick uh, advertisement for anybody that would like to sponsor or be on stage sponsorship helps guarantee you get on stage by the way uh we're doing a, an event of uh, uninsured but not uninsurable for you know things like you know palo the kind of things you mentioned or anybody else that's found they've got something they want to insure or want to build a business around it um, but I think it is that challenge of scale, frankly. I mean, the, the trouble with the, well, not the trouble, but the reality of the insurance market is if you can't generate revenues exceeding you know, $10 million if you're an MGA uh, because your capacity provider is going to want to get a big chunk of that, then it's really hard to get anybody interested because it's just the cost that makes sense. And it's partly why Trove switched their business model to from having insurance for device insurance to essentially becoming a white label platform because the cost, cost of acquisition was so high. And so I think it's a warning for everybody that if you know, an organization like Trove, who we've got a lot of respect for, did a really good job, if they can't scale it, I think you know, back to this protection gap piece, it, it does actually need you know, investment. Uh, and it's like Global Parametrics, who we're doing an event with on the 1st of October. Uh, you know, get, I've got government support for doing that. It needs that to really be able to make a difference. It's just very, very difficult for that area to grow organically. Is that why you can't get insurance for your tractor? I good news is I now have insurance for oh, my, my tractor, but only third-party liability. So if anybody nicks it, I'm down down my tractor. But, uh, I can't see that happening anytime soon, Frank. <laughs> well, at the speed it goes, I think I could run. I could run up and catch them. But Paul, let's just quickly switch to the, let's talk about the podcast, and then we should probably wrap up fairly soon. But when you kicked this back off a couple of years ago, uh, you know, what, uh, podcasts have sort of had an interesting resurgence in the last few years, but. What was your original thinking behind doing this? Because you've got a lot going on. Absolutely. And I think to, to some extent, this, this plays to our earlier point around how we, we started sort of very bootstrappy, very, very rough and ready. Because unlike the effort that goes into, into podcasts these days, in, in, including, of course, this one that you, you're doing now, Matthew, um, it was a, a phone held to the, uh, to the speaker's mouth and a few questions just thrown at, at him or her and then we pressed upload. Now, the, why, why did we do it? I think partly it was expediency. 
which is it's actually as as you know you will well know it's hard to write good quality long form prose you know people may read a a, a thousand word article in a, in a few minutes but it takes an awful long time to write that whilst um just recording someone speaking is is far easier the the other sense i think is because there was a real thirst for ideas for opinions back back when we started doing it was it's easier to get people to be open and honest on a podcast than if you're then asking if you can quote them in written word. So the, the ability to get someone to really say what they thought and then share that with our admittedly much smaller audience then was very efficient. And um, yeah, what I love about what you're achieving still with the podcast, Matthew, is that you're still getting people to be open and honest in a way that it may be harder to do if you were writing down what they were saying. In, in terms of, you know, it'd be interesting to know your view of why, why you feel that it is still working as a medium. You know, we, we had no strategy to Robin's point when we started it up. Um, you've, you've turned it into something incredibly successful. What, what's your sense of why people are, uh, are still tuning in? Well, I, mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think podcast generally is the kind of intimacy of podcasts. So uh, at the moment, you know, someone's got us plugged into their ears or maybe on the speakerphone, probably doing something else at the time but it's just a very different dynamic that happens then and you can get away with a slightly different discussion and I think people are you know hungry for content and I for me the reason I enjoy doing it is I'm, I'm curious and so you know for us we're pretty careful who we have as guests because we want to have people that you know frankly the joy of running your own business is you, you can choose who you do things with and you know all the guests we've had I find really fascinating uh so I think that's one part of it I mean the other part is you touched on earlier on, but there's a real, there is this real thirst for content. And so for an organization that wants to get its word out, it's a really efficient way of doing that is to have a half an hour interview with us. We turn that into a, a written bit of material. They can post a podcast on their website, you know, and suddenly they go from not really having an effective way to tell their story to something that they can distribute through multi-channels and uh, through very little work on their end. It's just, a, you know, it's just proved incredibly efficient. Um, and so, you know, yeah, and we're always welcoming more guests. Um, Robin, you were, you were not really a big fan of podcasts. You were probably more of a Radio 4 listener, were you, uh, back a couple That's of years ago? special. Yeah, um, I've got to be quite, quite honest with this. You, you guys were banging on about podcasts, and I was going, yeah, well, you know, whatever. And now, if I talk to anybody about, and, you know, I work for Intertech London, they all go, well, we listen to your podcast. They're, they're, you know, they're the best in sure tech podcast. So, you know, it's great to, from my point of view. We're no longer, we're, we're no better for our podcast than we are for any sort of event we hold in London or anything else. And, that, and that's, that's put, one, a sign of the times, and two, um, how palpably wrong I was in thinking that podcast was not uh, the way that Intertech London needed to go. Now I'm your very first listener on a Sunday afternoon. Sunday morning. Got to get out there early now, Robin. Nine o'clock. No, I didn't get up. It's Sunday mornings. No, no. I'm afraid uh, there are others getting. There are others who are getting there earlier. Uh, and of course, we're doing. We, are, we, we shouldn't forget our live chats events that Robin, you and I have been doing. And again, you know, part of your question. You know, we enjoy doing it. We have great guests. They tolerate Robin and I asking some sort of provocative questions and, and asking them to explain their acronyms and things. And it seems to work, frankly, given by the, the volume of people who are listening at a time when everyone's spending their life on video calls and things. And it's been great to see all the engagement we've had. So we should wrap up pretty quickly, but Paolo, let me turn to you first of all. What are you, what are you seeing coming up in the next you know, six to 12 months? You know, clearly return to work is a major issue for everybody, particularly you know, organizations like yourself at Brit. But just as we kind of pull this to a close, what do you want to leave people with? 
the thought I'll leave people with is that we, we've been hearing a lot of noise over the the, the, the past few months from, from insurtech startups that innovation appears to be slowing up, that incumbents are, are not engaging with them as much, you know, just at what's the worst possible time for them. And I, I don't think that it's true that innovation has, has been slowing up due to, to COVID. You know, obviously everything's been disrupted in, in many ways. But I think what we're seeing, and this was happening already, is that insurers are trying to streamline the number of innovation relationships they have, if, if that makes sense. And um, the, the most insurtechs are still only optimizing a small part of the value chain. And that may be an incredible difference they can make in that, that small place. But if you're a, a mid-sized insurer, then you really haven't got time to engage with 20, 30, 40, 50 different organizations. Um, you're much more looking to see is there a smaller number of larger companies who can help you innovate in a number of different places in your organization. And I think that's important for both the, the large technology providers and also the, the small insurtech startups to be aware of. It's a big part of that platform play, which is one of the big themes for us. I mean, it has been, but it's going to be particularly important going forward. And Robin, what, what are you looking out for? I hate the word, but I'm such a big believer in, in ecosystems and embedded insurance and this whole line of inquiry that says you've got to make it easier to buy and and in in that respect it's about um partnerships and playing nicely in you know parallel universes and people who have the customers and people who have data about those customers and, and I, I mean i still think we have miles to go there um you know the legacy tech really holds us back everybody kind of knows that they want to change the nature of their engagement model with consumers but they can't so i think you know that i'd like to see that addressed and my you know the other issue still is a, is a funding issue um in terms of you know themes this is a global problem but th there's so much money to uh, give away to validate a successful business it's still incredibly difficult to get to that point um so I, you know as a, as a community i think we have a role to play there um so, so so that would be a big piece of work i think over the next year or two you know how do we how do we help people with great ideas get in front of the insurance companies given that they are streamlining and how do we help them you know get money given that it's um you know it's a it's a difficult place to be right now you got your own ideas matthew have you what are you what are you concentrating on yeah i mean it's sort of putting those threads together actually which is you know we've as with more people we talk to the more you know, clear it becomes there's still a big gap out there for some view of what the market is doing by these particular areas, whether it's platforms, prevent and predict, IoT. So we're going to be releasing initially quarterly, but potentially more frequently, uh, slightly more deeper dives into these topics that basically pull together what we're learning from the podcast, the interviews, the people we talk to, the members, and you know, just become really the, the go-to place for information around what, what's out there and you know, all part of what we're trying to do, which is to separate the noise from the reality, really, and, and help people find the right partners more quickly. And I think part of that is also how do these things all connect together? You know, we've, we all know APIs are out there, and it's part of this platforms and ecosystems piece, which is how do you actually, you know, how do you create the plumbing that when you've got the the client going in at one end, you've got a loss happening somewhere, and and some at the end of the pipe, money gets paid. Now, the technology shouldn't be an inhibitor of that; it should all be seamless to the client and probably even the capital provider. So I think that's one of the other areas we're looking out for is to start to map out 
you know, who connects with who and, and, and who doesn't. So yeah, a, a lot, a lot we can do there. And if anybody's interested in learning more about that or contributing to it, let me know. Cause we're going to have our first report on, um, on parametric insurance coming out uh, in, uh, in October. We will really know that we've succeeded in our mission when we no longer hear the word spreadsheet or bordero. I don't think spreadsheets are going to die yet. yet. I think they're, they're, uh, they're going to last for a, a long, long time, but hopefully bordero will, will disappear. Uh, well, listen, we've, got, we've come to the top of the hour for our end and uh, we should bring it to a close there. For anybody listening on, uh, on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, uh, we are doing a, the UK leg of the InsureTech Connect because they can no longer all go to Vegas and DIA. Uh, and we are showcasing five great startups uh, and we are being supported by Anthemis. So you should by now have already seen something from us. But if you haven't, just check us out on the website. Uh, it'd be great to have you join us for that. And anybody else who doesn't, doesn't know or is interested in learning more about Instec London, then you know, please do drop us a line, hello at instec.com. London uh, and we will see how we get on with this podcast uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed the 100th episode and you'll be around for the 200th as well thanks thanks Paolo thanks Robin thanks pleasure thank you